Welcome back, business teachers. This is Denise Lee, and you are joining me for the Art of Teaching Business podcast. This podcast is dedicated to everything classroom management. I have to say, it has taken me years to kind of get my groove when it comes to classroom management. Some of these tips uh, you probably have discovered yourself throughout the year, your years or your experience teaching. I used to think that I wasn't necessarily the best with classroom management, but what I've found in the last several years is that I'm just fine. I'm staying in my zone. The students respect me. I respect my students and it's all going well. I find out how well when I get DMs from fellow teachers after they watch my Instagram stories at the end of my school day. I will hear often from other educators, how do you get your students to produce such quality work? So if you're new here, you may not know that I story almost every day. My uh, handle on Instagram is business teach Denise, and I am business education with Denise Lee on Facebook. I will story. It's kind of a recap of my day. I call it my business briefing time. It's a good time for me to kind of just organize what I did throughout the day and organize my thoughts. And I will often tell my next steps for the lesson. I will often at that time show quality work of my students. So there's a caveat here. I'm showing quality work of students. I am obviously not going to give my audience bad examples, bad visual examples of a project that we did in class. So I want everyone to know, you know, I don't get 100% Um, participation in everything. I always strive for 100% participation. And I have to say, we do really well. By we, my students and I have a great groove when it comes to what I expect from them, them working throughout the period and giving me good quality work. But I don't get that 100% of the time. So I just want to say that before I give you some of these these tips and tricks that I use, and some of what I'm going to say is kind of a given, but I have to remind myself every school year that, oh yeah, I forgot to do that, or I have to make sure I reiterate this with my kids tomorrow. So what I have done is I have um, made a list of eight things that I know that I am very Uh, cautious of and very intentional when doing my classroom management strategies. And that very first one will be no surprise to anyone if you know me and you know effective teaching at all is really building relationships. The best thing that you can do for yourself and your students is to really work on getting uh, a great relationship with each of your kids. And I go to sporting events, I compliment students on what they're wearing or ask them about their their jobs outside of school and try whatever I can, just like a lot of you wonderful teachers do to build relationships with my kids. The first couple of weeks of school, I really do a lot of uh, activities that are going to prompt them to share with me so that I can learn more about them. And in turn, they're learning about me because I'm sharing stories about products, brands, or businesses, 
And again, I can't say enough about building relationships. You know, back to that Rita Pearson, kids don't like to learn from people they don't like. And I want them to like me. It's not my first goal that they like me because I am there to keep them safe, to teach them, uh, give them an environment that is a structured learning environment so that all students can learn in my space. But it's really up there with one of the most important things um, that happens in my classroom right along with, with the safety of my students. The second thing is eliminate distractions. This is the one I always have to remind myself of. I do a lot of projects. I believe in project-based learning. I can't stress enough how wonderful it is in keeping kids engaged. I like them to get out of their seats. I want them cutting and pasting and gluing. And we are on the computers a lot as well, doing digital activities. But if I can get them off of the computers to do basic work of just cutting, pasting, gluing, coloring, they love that, they really do. Well, what comes with that type of classroom strategy is scissors, glue, and tape, and markers. So, you know, I, I have an audience of ninth through 12th grade, and I have a mix of ninth through 12th grade. Most of my students, if you looked at the average student that I have, um, is our seniors. I have more seniors than I do juniors, sophomores, and freshmen. And then secondly, I have juniors. The reason being I have 192 kids throughout the day. That is a lot of kids in seven classes. My classes are really big. Um, now, I am also counting a class that we call our resource period. At the end of the day, I have 30 kids. Uh, that is a period that they're with me for a half an hour uh, to tie up the day, like I help them with senior projects. It's a resource period. So it's really not, it's not a graded class at all. I'm taking attendance and, of course, keeping them safe and kind of mentoring them. But yeah, that's a lot of kids in my classroom. And of course, I only have four minutes between each of my class periods. We do not have block schedule. And if we're doing a project where scissors or glue or tape or markers are involved, which is often, I have to make sure at the end of every period, I'm collecting those, even if the next period is going to be using them as well. I have scissor swingers all the time. They put their index finger up and they swing the scissors. They don't even realize they're doing it. That is unbelievably dangerous. It's just something that people do, not just kids, because I have had administrators come in and um, sometimes, you know, play with the stuff that's around. So I have to keep the stuff away from everybody. Scissors have to be put away. Also, I will find people cutting things with scissors that aren't supposed to be cut with scissors, just like chopping at a pencil or something while I'm talking. And I know you know what I mean. The tape dispenser, you know how we teachers have tape dispensers that have sand in the bottom, uh, you know, to weigh them down and the tape roll goes in it so that you can rip the tape. If I have that visible, that's gonna be played with. They're gonna be ripping off pieces of tape. The tape's gonna end up in someone's hair or wrapped around someone's finger. And I can say the same about markers. They will draw on each other, draw on themselves. And even though I said the average age of my students is my seniors, which are 17 or 18 years old, doesn't make them bad kids, doesn't make them bad people. It's just the reality. So making sure that I eliminate any distractions is very important to me. 
because I have to mess around with trying to get everything cleaned up because they're playing with things while I'm giving instructions. So that would be my second tip for classroom management is to eliminate any distractions. I have also had decorations in the room that have been distractions that I've had to take down where I thought they looked very nice, but they were distractions. I had globes that were hanging when I was doing an international business unit. I loved them. I love the way that my space looked with the globes hanging from uh, the tile panels in my classroom, but they just ended up being such distractions. Kids wanted to hit them to make them swing. They were watching them while I was teaching. Um, so again, eliminate anything that might be a distraction. The third thing for classroom management is to create a learning space uh, that matches your needs. And I realize that some teachers are very limited with their space um, for their classroom. I am very blessed to have two classrooms as I have spoke of in the past. One is my traditional classroom and the other is my maker space where the city collaborative lives. And we have a large uh, model of a city created by students and student entrepreneurs as they created their businesses. That space works for me. That helps with my classroom management because I have actually three zones in which I teach. The a traditional classroom that has the seats, the student, the teachers at the front, the students all have their, their desks. Then I have tables, but they all have their space. The maker space, the city is, the students will often come in, they will sit in my traditional classroom and I will take them over to the city once I tell them what our goal or objective is or what we're gonna be doing in the city that day. I have a third space that I very seldom show on my stories because it's a space where students are working in groups. And uh, the groups in which students are working is at two, um, they look like board tables, boardroom tables. I actually got them uh, from our administration office when they upgraded a boardroom table because I want them to be part of decision making and problem solving. I say often, you know, our world is full of problems and I want my students to be able to solve the problems. So that is my third zone. That's what works for me. I have a zone in my room for materials such as the scissors, the tape, the glue, the glue guns, the, the glue that goes in the glue guns, my laminating station. And I also have a zone where students can get papers if they are absent, if we did a paper that day. Um, mostly I'm a paperless classroom when it comes to daily activities. I do a lot of digital activities, as many of you know, by what's in my TV shop. But if there's a paper like snip notes that they missed, I will direct them over to uh, that area and it's all there by period. So again, this is all part of creating a learning space that matches my needs as a teacher and matches my students' needs as well. The fourth thing that I can say that I do is I set clear expectations and I try to make sure that the expectations are no more than three at a time or in a given period. So if a student, if the students are doing a digital activity for the period, I will tell them that I want the digital activity to be complete by the end of the period. If that's an expectation, I need to tell them that. That way I am keeping them off their phones because they know that they have a deadline and the deadline's at the end of the period. 
I also will tell them that I want complete answers. I want their answers to be considerate. I want to to be able to read their responses and know that with consideration, they responded and not give me one or two word generic answers. So those are two expectations. I want it done by the end of the period. And I want your answers to be um, considerate. I want to, to see that you have had consideration in your responses. I may say something as well as um, make sure you're filling up the entire space for your project. If we're doing a project that day, I just finished Accounting Avenue and Business Law Boulevard projects with my students where my students created these little, this little mini town when they were learning about the branches of law and the branches of accounting. When I gave them that, I told them, it took us about two class periods to complete, but I said, this particular section of the project has to be done by the end of the period. And I want the entire space to be used up. So if you've given me a two sentence response, I want the font to be big enough to fill up that space. So again, my tip for my fourth classroom management strategy is to set clear expectations each class period. Some things you don't think you have to say to students. I've realized in recent years, and I don't know if it has to do with, you know, the post-COVID environment or not, but I have to do this every single period. And I know back, uh, you know, several years ago, or even not so many years ago, I didn't have to do this every day. The, the students knew that, you know, this had to be done by the end of the period, or that she wants to know that I learned from this. So my answers have to be considerate. I have to say it now all the time and I have to make those expectations very clear. And again, I try to keep them no more than three expectations for the class period so that those are really the goals by the end of the class period as well. My fifth tip for good classroom management is to be consistent, insistent, and persistent. So consistent across the board. I don't bend. I can't bend. You make an exception for one of your rules for one of your students, then you know that exception is seen by others. And then you've, you've, you've got to make exceptions again. So I am consistent. Insistent. I am insistent whenever I am, and persistent actually, when I'm giving a deadline. There are definitely, I mean, I don't care what my relationship is like with that student. I'm not going to yell at them. I'm not going to be angry with them if they're not done by the deadline, but there are consequences. And we have a grading policy at our school on how we score those consequences with a 20% drop for every day after the deadline and so forth. So I am consistent with that. I'm insistent that I stick to that rule and persistent when approached for me to bend on my rules. So this doesn't have to be, you don't have to be combative when being insistent or persistent. You don't have to be angry at them. I'm very rarely angry at my students. I want to the, let them know that I'm always there for them, but there's consequences. And honestly, I rarely am asked to bend with the rules. On my Instagram, just put a reel up about my, I have a business 
and they're leather travelers journals pretty much is what they are. And they hold four books at a time. And that's my personal planner. That planner has my schedule in it. Um, it has a calendar in it. It has a book that I keep all of my podcast episodes and notes in. It has a book of TPT products and resources that I'm making, developing, or a list to do. And then it has a book for conferences. I'm at a lot of conferences and I make conference notes in there. And often I will pull from that book for um, information for podcasts and so forth. So that is my personal planner. I also have a happy planner that I love. I use the big one, the eight and a half by 11. Maybe it's a little bigger, um, but I love it. I'm a sticker girl. I love stickers. I'm like a 12 year old girl. I often say, and I love highlighters and markers and flare pens. And so that planner never leaves my classroom, the happy planner. My personal planner is with me a lot. Do I have things that are duplicated on my school calendar and my personal? I absolutely do. Um, writing it down a second time is sometimes just good reminder. And I have a lot of a lot more things in my personal planner than my school planner because, of course, my personal life, I'm involved in community events and church things. It's wonderful. Substitutes use it for rosters. I will put sticky notes on there whenever I'm absent. I used to keep a big binder for when subs would be in for me. And now in the really environment of teachers covering for other teachers, you know, we're walking in on our prep. Uh, we don't have a lot of time and we just want to know what are these kids supposed to be doing while this teacher is not here this period. So I will just on that large piece of craft paper that's laminated with my rosters, put sticky notes with arrows and say, this class is supposed to be doing this. This class knows what they're doing. If they tell you that they're done, there's no way they could be done. Those are little notes that I might leave for the classroom teachers that are going to be covering. Again, it's, I call it my grab and go paper. I don't have a better name for it, but those are my three organizational or my planning uh, items. And um, so organization and planning, I actually have as two items for classroom management, but they really work together. I also did in episode uh, two, I talked about, um, I'm sorry, episode 12, I talked about the multi-prep survival of having a scope and sequence. Um, so yeah, that that's part of planning as well. And that scope and sequence, I print out because I like to print out everything that's just me. And I tape it in that large happy planner so that I can mark off what units I've done for each of my classes. Uh, of course, I have a digital library, a, a teacher lesson library. If you've ever bought any of my courses on TPT, uh, I swear by digital lesson libraries for teachers. That is actually what I've printed off. That is my scope and my sequence. And I also have my pacing um, recommendations on there as well. So that I remember how long this lesson took the year before and so forth. My last tip my number eight would be to give students as much responsibility as possible, especially since this audience are high school teachers. I'm a high school teacher. I give them as much responsibility as possible. 
In episode two, I talked extensively about student-led instruction. I also did a YouTube video on my YouTube channel, Business Education with Denise Lee, where there is, uh, I give an example and a reenactment on what student-led instruction looks like in my classroom. I don't want to be, and I should not be, the teacher teaching all day, every day. And if you're listening and thinking, what? Then what are we paid for? We are paid, yes, to educate, to guide, to mentor. We are paid to do about 50 more things than we are getting paid to do. I think that if we allow our students, I know actually, if we allow our students to be the leaders in instruction, they are spending far less time on their phones. They are spending more time speaking up in our classes, which is their class where they're supposed to be learning. They are discovering, they're exploring and looking for the answers to whatever our objectives are for the day. And then reporting back to their fellow classmates. They're also prompted when students are reporting back to them to use their active listening skills. When we talk about teaching to the whole child, student-led instruction is where it's at. It's the best classroom management strategy that I have. Again, this tip I'm calling giving students as much responsibility as possible. Responsibility for reporting their findings, researching what we're learning about, and listening to others when they're speaking. Talk about polishing those communication skills. But giving them as much responsibility as possible in my space, I also make them responsible for um, helping me grade their projects or their assignments. So just Friday, and usually on Fridays, I do this. Um, I'll give an example in my computer applications class. Throughout the week, we did an activity that was called a Google Doc scavenger hunt. We also did a dream dog Google Doc activity. We did a let's go camping activity, as well as a how to Google Doc activity. Students learned great uh, things like inserting images and inserting a click here link, putting borders around pictures um, and, and so forth. I asked my students at the beginning of the class period on Friday to bring up those four, and I wrote them on the board, those four tabs. I wanted all of those open in four different tabs. I went around with my grab and go um, roster, my one of my greatest organizational hacks with a dry erase marker because that grab and go roster list is laminated and I checked off if the students had them done or, and they all had four checks by their name, I put check minuses and I put check pluses. If it's a check plus or just a check I did on Friday, um, they got all of their points for those activities. None of those were assessments. We will do a project that will, will really encompass everything we learned in those activities in my computer applications class. These were activities, not assessments. So I graded them over their shoulder. They were responsible for bringing up each of those four hacks. And if they weren't done with those four, then they were responsible for working on them while I was grading over the shoulder. So again, this tip is called 
giving students as much responsibility as possible in my classroom. And let me just say, if students were done with everything, I had an activity that they were doing on Friday um, while others were getting caught up. I had a lot of students that were behind um, and they actually were doing keyboarding fun files. So working and polishing, working on and polishing their speed and accuracy for keyboarding so that everyone's busy. So that, ladies and gentlemen, are my eight classroom management tips. One of the most popular DMs I get, again, is how do you get your students to turn in such quality work? You know, not everybody is turning in 100% the best quality work. If I'm showing it on my Instagram, three things are in place. Number one, I have a social media release form from that student and from their parent. Um, so those are the first two things. They turned it in, their parent turned it in. And number three, they had an exemplary example, a good example of whatever project they were doing that day. So I'm showing theirs off. Of course, I'm not showing you the work uh, that was turned in that wasn't the best. I don't always get 100% the best work from every student, but that is always my goal. And I say that's always our goal is that everyone is turning in 100% the best work. So to recap this episode, number one, build relationships. That is the first thing for the best classroom management always is to create an environment where they want to learn from you. And how is that happen? That happens by connecting with them and build relationships. Number two, eliminate any distractions that may be in the classroom. Number three, create a learning space that makes meets your needs. And everybody's needs are different. Um, I have worked very hard on making sure my learning space was meeting my needs. And number four, set clear expectations. Um, I have the rule of three. I try to make it very clear that these are the three things I want done by the end of the period. No one's ever asking me or telling me I didn't realize this needed done by the end of the period. If it's something that's going to be extended on, I will tell them I expect you to get through sections one and two by the end of the period. My fifth tip for great classroom management is to be consistent, insistent, and persistent. Uh, really keeping that rigor in the classroom and making sure that they realize that there are rules and expectations across the board in your space. Number six, stay organized. And that goes on to number seven. You can do that by planning, being organized, decluttering, but also planning uh, to stay organized so that you know what we're doing next as far as your scope and sequence. And finally, number eight, give students as much responsibility in their space as possible. And two episodes I can refer you to to help with that one is episode number two, which is student-led instruction. And I was also discussing with you that YouTube video in my on my video uh, YouTube channel and episode number 12 with which is a multi-prep survival episode which talks about grading over the shoulder and how I do that in my business education classroom. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you are finding this helpful, I ask that you please leave a review. That helps me tremendously. And I also welcome great comments in the comments section. Um, again, I so appreciate you listening. And until next episode, 
Thanks for listening. <laughs>